0: Welcome into the Husker 24-7 podcast. I am Mike Schaefer, joined by Michael Bruns, Brian Christofferson. Well, I uh, we could engage in some witty banter or we can just dive straight into the fact that it's not even September and Nebraska fans are pretty pretty unhappy, pretty unhappy with their football team. Uh, so where do you guys want to go? You have some witty banter, or do we just go straight into this thing?
1: I don't have banter I have an announcement to make I was part of the no cavity club today so Very nice. this club. week this week isn't a total a total wash yet so that's all you the know,
0: banter. how many years are you on at this point
1: uh it's it's been a good run I mean I'm not like I'm not the Lou Gehrig of no cavity clubs here but sure probably in the ballpark of uh, you, a few a few seasons worth are you a good flosser no. Not really, I'm
2: kind of skating by with uh, Is
0: Anybody really a good flosser?
2: I don't. Yeah, there are people. My dad, but I get a lecture every time. Um, do you guys get a lecture from yours from your dental hygienist? You can no. just tell
1: me the,
0: the like the dental society said that flossing has been overstated in recent years. There's news articles about it.
2: Just uh, say I read in it. a journal. I read it in a scientific journal. That's all you yeah. got to say. Don't cite the specific one, but.
0: Look, they, they can't give you that much guff. It's been overstated.
2: Okay. So that's all I
1: got. They don't
0: gonna say anything to me anymore. They just know that it's not even worth it. <laughs>
1: that, that That's the look of a man who does not floss. <laughs>
0: <laughs> They're always like, oh, man, no cavities again. Wow, you're really running this thing up there. And then they just realize there's no point in bringing up the floss. They always throw it in the little bag, but we all know that it's not getting used.
2: Yeah. I would probably stereotype heavily bearded men as not being big flossers, and that's not really fair. But if I, if I were in the dental community, that's what I would think. I would just be like, "Yeah, not a flosser. We know." They, they like
1: IPAs. <laughs> yeah. They they, they like <laughs> probably listen to some Nickelback, and they don't floss. Oh,
0: I don't. I don't care for IPAs, but uh, I mean, I can I can handle a little Nickelback every now and then.
1: I know. All right, so we should probably talk some football, I guess, which is about uh, as exciting as dental work right now.
2: But um, Illinois, what happened? Yeah, we got to get our more somber voices on now.
1: This would be be like the point in the 90s sitcom where you kind of got that serious music (laughs) about the 18-minute mark of the show. DJ Tanner just drove the car
2: through the kitchen. (laughs)
0: Uh, you're too late that it's got to be more like the 14 minute mark because at 18 you got to be close to wrapping that thing up you only got four minutes left in the whole show
1: that's true so do you mean
0: 18 with the commercials not in
2: so so wrap it up for me this is a yeah this is like a blossom segment where you need to watch it with the parent um i don't know it was i was sitting there when it was nine to two and that was an actual score in that game And Nebraska's defense was flying around, and I thought they can't biff this one up. I thought that. Like, I said, I know it's – there was that part, like, you know it could happen, but you're like, no, no way, no way. I mean, the defense has a grip on this. They just need to not give away points anymore. Um, There's no way – it will. I think I told you, Brunts, Nebraska's only going to need, like, 24 points to win this game or something, get two more drives, and they're out of here with a win. And then, of course, they find every which way to just give away points. Um, And it was just startling to suddenly look up and it's 30 to nine. I was most disappointed. And then you guys can tell me what you're most disappointed in. I think the O-line, frankly. Um, I I know Adrian had a rough day, so we can get to him, but – the O-line, I was I was thinking this is a good first game for them where they can establish themselves. They can get four to five yards of pop like they've been talking about. I was sort of buying into the downhill, you know, talk that there was going to be more of that. We'd see Gabe Irvin and Marquis Step really flash some good things. And it was like they couldn't – I think they're averaging like half a yard a carry on first down the first two or three series. And, and then they, it was just – desperation mode after that in the second half and they got it completely away from it. But I was disappointed with both pass pro at times and the, and the running game. It There was just no consistency and it was clunky up front to me all game.
0: Yeah. What I was most disappointed in. Um, probably the special team stuff still like you're, and I don't know if it's because, you know, the 2019, Nebraska Iowa game was on the night before, and I'm sitting in the hotel and watching that and reliving that. And there was a moment in that game where JD Spielman inexplicably fields a punt at the two yard line. And then, fast, you know, you, you move forward to the, to the game on Saturday, and Cam Taylor Britt inexplicably runs over to the side of the near the side of the end zone, catches a punt at the two, like. If you have an eight-yard rule, which was discussed at Tuesday's practice, what the hell is he doing? Like, you're, you're way beyond eight yards at that point. It's not like, you know, sometimes the eight-yard rule, guys will catch it at the six. You see that stuff. I mean, he was deep inside his own five, and then, of course, everything that, that came out of that play with him slipping, the throwing of the football, I mean, all of it. Like, just poor. But you have that. You have Connor Culp with missed extra points you have a punning game that just has really been completely all over the place uh, over the last couple of years and it just it feels like how is this team still so bad at these things and in 2019 they were also bad at many of these things and and that was you know more than a year and a half ago and and it's just uh it, it was really just kind of like hammered home like they just haven't improved in certain areas of this game in the game of football. I mean, they just have not remotely improved. They still make really poor decisions. You still have kick returners wanting to run the ball out and they can't get past the 15, 16 yard line, you know, just damaging dumb self-inflicted stuff that when you sit there and you talk about being snake bit, you're not snake bit if you have these mistakes repeatedly and not just on the off game here or there, like every game, every year. And so I think just seeing that happen the night before, and then seeing it play out the way it did with Cam Taylor Britt on Saturday against Illinois was just, uh, just reinforced that they, at best they've treaded water with being a bad special teams team. Uh At worst, they've gotten worse at it. Like, it's really just, impressively poor all the way around on that phase of the
1: football. I guess I can hit on defense. That's the only thing left. Well, you, there's
0: Adrian. Yeah. we, we can There's Blake calling.
1: That. Well, that's kind of the same thing. There's
0: clock management.
1: The thing that that was disappointing about the, the defense to me was you had – Brian was right. I mean, you, you had a stranglehold on that game. And, you know, again, it was one of those situations where you force a turnover, you have what was probably a, uh, a mistake of aggression, I guess, um, from Caleb Tanner, but the, the, the way that things kind of just unraveled from that point, um, you know, was surprising, I think from a veteran defense, um, you know, I don't think that Illinois was doing anything that was particularly surprising. I mean, especially once Peters left the game, it was just Art Sunkowski just back there chucking it around the yard and mixing in some runs. I mean, the 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 possession that was the killer was right out of halftime, where Illinois didn't do all that much flashy stuff. They just picked up third downs. Um You know, they they ran power, they mixed in a few things here and there and got Nebraska uh, moving side to side, um, which they don't do as well, I think, as just stepping forward and and stopping the run. So it's – I don't know. I mean, I I think – I still believe that that Nebraska's defense is one that's going to keep them in a lot of games. It's just, again, that next step of improvement that they – didn't show. I mean, they, they played a good game, but they they weren't able to play a great game when it was there for them. They weren't able to force turnovers late when they needed to, or get off the field on third down. And I mean, that's how you know a, a team that frankly is is still overmatched talent wise, like Illinois, was able to really take the air out of that game when they got a lead. I mean, they an eight minute drive out of halftime is that, that's a statement drive for an offense. And Nebraska's defense just had no. Uh, No, no bow up in them on that on that drive. And and that's that's where the game was lost.
0: Yes. Oh, sorry. I just to to interject quickly, kind of because what Bruns is talking about has me thinking something is Nebraska's defense sort of at the point where they can keep you in games and the next step for them is being a defense that can outright win you games. Like, do you do you feel like there's still a pretty big distinction between where Nebraska is at in that regard? If you understand what I'm asking, I may not be explaining it particularly well.
2: I get it. I think they might have to be what you're talking about to save this season. Like they might have to become that. I, I We talked about it in some of the preseason conversations about what would be the next step for this defense. And I always brought up, just because it's one that always pops in my mind, it's an old defense, but it was a Pelinio three defense that was so opportunistic where they would take the ball away like two, three times a game and you could just bank on it. I, I'm just using that as a, a highlight to say that's that's sort of what I think this team's gonna need. They're gonna have to be yeah. that that crew that that gets multiple turnovers. And they could have had that had they not erased it with a penalty in this game. Which would have um, been huge.
0: I mean that what yeah. that makes it nine two with the ball at the forty-five.
2: Yes. And and then and then maybe you are playing a little more downhill. Then maybe you don't get into just a Completely pass happy stuff. But that's where this team, we always talk a lot about uh, that one mistake that bleeds into another thing. But there's so many, it's kind of a combo platter. Nebraska's been really bad through the years recently in games where they're maybe ahead or tied and they have a moment that where they can take an opportunity and get a two score advantage or something. And then they're playing the game on their terms and they miss those moments too often. And we saw it with the Wyatt Lever play, where I think it was both. On, I don't know. I think Lever could have caught that. The more I've watched it back, it wasn't yeah, a great throw by. It. it wasn't a great throw by Adrian. But I've talked to some people who know the game a little more than I do, who said, you know, he could have run. He could have ran under that. Um, and I, I kind of was wishy washy on which way it was. But um, nonetheless, if you make that play either on either side of it, you're up thirteen to two. And football is one of those games where one play Ohio state, the year they were up three touchdowns on Nebraska. This is an example of how football momentum changes. They were about to blitz Nebraska out of the stadium and Levante makes a play and it ends up being a 28 point swing because of one play. I do believe football as much as any game on this planet is one where if you can get a team on the other sideline thinking, Oh boy, this is going a certain way and they, they start to sort to of accept the fact you can, I, this game could have been completely different if Nebraska goes up two scores early on and is playing downhill, both defensively and offensively, and they miss their shot.
0: I agree. I agree with all of that. What do you think, Prince?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, there's, there's been, I was thinking about this, um, you know, after the game, that there's there's been games like that throughout the, this coaching staff's tenure at Nebraska where it feels like, especially early on, the you know, mid-second quarter, there, there is a possession here, a possession there, where you're like, this game is if, – if they can just punch it in here or they can get a stop or something, it's going to tilt. And the one that comes to mind most of all was that Purdue game in in West Lafayette. Where Purdue was just begging Nebraska to yes. to to win that game, and you know through not able to not being able to do it offensively or, or giving up a big play on defense or something like that, it just it doesn't go that way. Um, you know, the, the Iowa game that year was kind of a another example of that where it seemed like Nebraska was in control late and, and it was you get to that tipping point and I that that's just been the 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 struggle for this the staff is just not being able to make the plays, and it's you know being snake bit. I guess is one way of looking at it. I don't I don't subscribe to that. Um, You know, catching a break like that's all passive. I mean, it's you have to make the play, Um, and and there's just been so many instances where it just hasn't happened, and. You know, I, I don't know what the answer is for that to start occurring, but I mean, it, it's, it's happened for three years now. And, uh, you know, I guess that's being snake bit, but at the same time, it's like, well, you, you need to kind of take some ownership and just make it happen.
2: Yeah. I mean, think about that. One, one more on that, that miss with lever. That's the best play. One of the two best play calls Nebraska had in the that game was that call like if you actually watch that play it was a clever design and they've got some trinkets like that Scott Frost will and, and Lubick where you'll be like wow that was pretty neat you know like he had two or three options on the play he picked a good option and that's a play where not only do you go up two scores but it's a it is a swagger play it's like a it looks good like if you finish it off it's like a alley-oop dunk kind of play uh, you know it, it you 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 completely Um, school to defense on it. And you're walking to the sideline up 13 to two, you know, pounding your chest and it's a different game. And those are the, they just cannot afford those anymore. Cause I feel like every throughout the last three or four years, you always circle them You circle them in your notebook. You're like, that's going to, that's going to be one of the three or four that we're going to be talking about. And you just know it, you, you know, it's going to come back to bite them. Do
0: we want to, do we want to go Adrian here? Yes. Okay. I. It felt like, as it often does with Adrian, that there's two different versions of him in the same game. I mean, at times in the second quarter, he looked like the most inaccurate that he ever has, or back to when he would go through just bouts of missing high and never setting his feet. And then later in the game, he had some much better throws as the stakes got higher when Nebraska absolutely couldn't afford to miss him. And it's just – it just dumbs found me that he can be this wildly erratic all the time. And it it does make things a little bit harder if you have to call plays, especially if you aren't able to run the football. And so I guess the the initial takeaway I have from Adrian is he in, in one game sort of just gave you everything that he is. I mean, he gave you the 75-yard touchdown run. Uh, he gave you that he's a willing competitor, whatever the score is or the situation. And he also just showed you that, there's just times where you can draw up. Like Brian said, a great play, have great options. Uh, and, and he's just going to miss high. I mean, the guy overthrew six foot nine Austin Allen on a third down play that would have been well short of the sticks anyways, but he, he, he overshot him. Like, you know, before it was in vogue to say that it was JD Spielman and Wandell Robinson and he needed some taller receivers because he would just miss those guys high. And they're a little shorter six foot nine. Austin Allen shouldn't be, uh, you shouldn't be overshooting him that high. And so it, it's, it's just kind of was emblematic of what he is even now, four years into this. And, and I think that was tough uh, to, to walk away with because you heard about how he was different. And for the most part, other than looking a little faster as he ran, all of the bugaboos were still there for him. The untimely turnover, the uh, mistros when guys were open. And then the one that I actually thought really hurt him maybe, more than anything, he holds on to the ball too damn long. I mean, for an offense that's supposed to be quick and, and getting throws out, he will sit there and hold the ball and hold the ball, and on the play in which he got the the, the strip sack, I mean, if you go back and you watch that play from the pulled-out view, Wyatt Lever's running a drag that picks up the first down. He could have hit that throw pretty easily. The ball's out of your hands, but he's holding, it. and then he starts to scramble, and then there's the fumble, and – I just I don't know. I don't remember him in 2018 holding the ball this long. I think this has become part of the paralysis for him is that he's not able to see the field well enough. And so he sits there and holds the ball. And it's just dangerous for one, a bad offensive line performance, as they had on Saturday in terms of protection. And two, the longer he holds it, the more likely it's just going to be bad for Nebraska overall.
1: It felt it felt at times again and especially as the, the game kind of wore on, you know, Nebraska was not going to establish the run as, as that game went along. That, that became pretty obvious. Um, I suppose it's probably a matter of opinion whether or not there were a lot of guys running open in that game, I went back and watched it. And there were some plays where there were definitely guys open that were missed. There were also just not enough plays. I think where guys were consistently winning one-on-ones on the edge and getting open. Um, but it started to feel in that game that Nebraska's best offensive play was a, a broken play where Adrian Martinez was gonna run. And it's felt like that it felt like that last year. If more so I think when Luke McCaffrey was in the in the game last year, but it, it also felt like that at times in 2019. And I know that there's gonna be you know parts of your offense where you're going to be uh, have an improvise and and you know somebody just has to make a play with their feet. But it it felt like as that game wore on that that became Nebraska's best option. And that's that's not a way that you're going to survive in, in the Big Ten a lot. And especially when you're you know you're you're having second and twenty sixes and stuff like that. Which to his credit, he picked up. But uh, that that's just not a, a way to function as an offense, and certainly not a way to take a step forward as an offense.
2: If they're going to save the season, it's got to be an offense, and this is going against everything we've seen, but it's got to happen, where the eye backs are towed in the mail a whole lot, and it's not a deal, this is just putting it generally, but where Adrian Martinez has to go get you 350 yards of offense to win the game. Because in the midst of Adrian, he might even do it. He might even get to – he got over 300, I think, in this game because of the 75-yard run and whatever. Uh, but it was it, – it, it's just uh, – he's – I don't think he's fit for that. And a lot of QBs in college aren't. There's only a few QBs on the planet who are probably fit to be, like, the one-man show and just, you know, just own things. And uh, uh, you can – everything counts on them. Um, they need this running attack to get going. And that's, that's why I'll bring it back to the line. You know, they, they've got to, they've got to step up immediately. And these, uh, these running backs uh, you need to see a couple of them really get going this week and next week and, and, and carry them into better competition.
0: Yeah, I, uh, I, I agree with what, Brian said for sure I mean the the quickest solution to this is you get that offensive line to at least be able to churn out some yards and can sustain some drives that way and then of course you need guys that can make plays too when the ball's in their hands I mean it is interesting when you remove Wandale from it there didn't feel like there was that many quick throws around the line of scrimmage or opportunities to make guys sort of miss you had that one Samari Toure slant Uh, I don't know if that wasn't there at other points in the game, but they they hit that one, and if he breaks that tackle, he scores. Um, So they they need some some quick action throws too, but you'd also need Adrian to correctly sum up the defense, make the right read there, and then uh, move forward with it. So um, just a, a rough, rough game all the way around. Any any final thoughts here on Illinois before we move into what has already been occurring this week? We can we can dive into when we return some uh, some alternate jersey talk, some sellout streak talk, some uh, some Scott Frost game plan talk, all of those things uh, we have coming up. Anything you want to close the Illinois game with, Brunts BC? Don't be shy. <laughs> I'm shy
2: right now. Yeah, yeah I, I,
1: I I don't know. I mean, I I think we've we've covered it enough for what needs to be covered. It was, a uh, for, for a game that since July at least has been talked about being so important to the trajectory of Nebraska season, it was, uh, to basically see most of the same mistakes played out again. I mean, it was, it, it had to have been uh, pretty disheartening. I don't, I really don't know that there's a, another, a better way to put it. It, it was, I don't know that you probably could have scripted up a worse opener in all honesty.
0: All right. Well, with that, we're going to take our break. We will come back. We're like I said, going to dive into what has happened so far this week, the sellout streak, its status. I think we have an answer to that here on a Tuesday afternoon Uh, and then Fordham and what anyone knows about Fordham, which could be a lot, could be nothing. We'll find out.
2: CBS Monday. NCIS! Here's where we can see them. NCIS and NCIS Hawaii return with all new cases.
1: Double tap to the chest, one to
0: the head. These guys are professionals.
2: All new criminals.
0: Finally Island, got here. Lock in the
2: paradise. And all new crimes to be solved. If you're watching this, I've been arrested. What are the charges? Just one. Murder. New NCIS and NCIS Hawaii. Monday starting at 9, 8 central on CBS and streaming on Paramount+.
0: Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Wait, Gather your besties. We are very exclusive. And get ready. Mom, go make snacks. For sure, Regina. Yeah. For the movie that hits like a bus. In a good way. No one dies. Mean Girls. Made at pt 13 Now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. All right. We're back. It's now week one. Week zero is over. In week one, the storylines, the biggest storylines might be happening in the stands on Saturday. A lot of concern, as Trev Alberts had made known, that Nebraska had yet to formally sell out the Fordham game uh, or potentially subsequent games in the non-conference and conference schedule at Memorial Stadium. That appears to have hit a resolution here on a Tuesday. Which one of you would like to discuss where Nebraska sits for the potential of a 376 sellout in the 2021 season.
2: It lives. The sellout it lives. lives. Brunce, I mean, Brunce was one of the two donors who donated some money.
0: That's incredible, Bruns. <laughs> that
2: was very generous.
1: You would
0: think well, you'd at least let the people on the message board know that you were going <laughs> to buy tickets and give them to them.
1: I had I had some uh some extra cash lying around and I thought why not why not uh give everybody some tickets to Fordham Um, so that was, that was my act of the week was to do that for, for all the good kids in Nebraska. And, and also I'm going to leave a ticket for Alan Alda at the, (laughs) at the window just in case he decides to come to the game, Fordham alum, Alan Alan Alda. Yeah. In all all seriousness, um, I was not one of the two donors that that was named (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, but apparently a couple of donors stepped up and bought all of the tickets that were remaining. Um, I, I believe it's unclear how many of those were um, remaining. However, there's going to be a, uh, underserved kids um, in, the, in Nebraska are going to get access to that. It's a cool story. Um, obviously with the way everything went on Saturday, which we just uh, breezed through, Um, the fact that you're playing Fordham and just kind of the general, I think, uh, temperature of things that was probably going to be a little bit difficult to get over that hump, especially if you could go on StubHub or your, your ticket broker of choice right now and get a 50 yard line ticket for under 30 bucks. Um, but anyways, 376 straight, straight, straight games, uh, will happen.
2: Yeah. I wonder, I di- I wonder if it'll come out, how many, how many were bought up, you know, they might not have to reveal that, but um, that would be interesting. The, the,
1: the other thing that will be fascinating, as we learned uh, in 2017, there is the sellout number and there's also the ticket scan number. Mm-hmm. I'll be very eager to see what the latter number is from Nebraska uh, in, in this game. Um, even, you know, despite the sellout, I think you're going to see a fair number of empty seats just because, The you student know,
0: section alone?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's Fordham, it's an 11-a-m kick, and everything else, but I, I I, will be eager to see what that number actually is.
2: Yeah, I'd have to look it up, but we wrote those numbers, at, we write them every year, and I think, like, Bethune-Cookman, whenever that game, game was, um, that was, like, 50 some thousand were actually scan tickets. That's why there's going to be, there will always be people who say it's already dead. Like there's, you're always going to get the crowd who says that streak's not even real anymore. And I get, I get where they're coming from. I mean, it's, it's sort of a logistics thing. I mean, they, they did sell all the tickets and uh, at that point it, 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 I guess it doesn't matter how many come or don't come. Um, but this is, uh I mean, they, they really need to get young people in this state interested in this program. And the only way you can do that is win win. I mean, if you're a 20 years or younger, you haven't seen this program do much, you know, and you just hear everybody talk about uh, what used to happen. And you kind of want to, I think that young people kind of want to, want to believe it, like, see it like, okay, yeah, that'd be cool to experience that for myself. But You've got to actually make that happen. Otherwise, you're just sort of holding off the inevitable where eventually um, a new generation is going to have to decide if they want to spend their Saturdays on this. And uh, you've got to make it worth their while in an era where, frankly, it's difficult to sell tickets across the country because people would just as soon sit at home and watch it on their HD with 12 to 15 friends in the backyard drinking what they want to drink, going to the bathroom whenever they want to. Um, I mean, stuff like that. I, I get the obstacles that are in the way.
0: Yeah, I, I think this is cool. And I do want to make that clear. Like, I like the idea that underserved individuals are going to get the opportunity to go to a football game. And, and I think that's great. I just don't know what the value of propping this up further is. Like, is, it, is there a specific number that people need this to get to before it's like, okay, we can just naturally let this thing start over? We can just naturally move on from it. Like Nebraska doesn't get a gold medal for having a 376 consecutive sellout for a game against Fordham. It doesn't benefit the program at all at this point. I, I don't I don't know who or why it's still necessary to prop something up that can't stand on its own. And something that is fantastic and doesn't need to be to be, you know, hollow. I mean, what the people in this state have done in terms of support for this program over an insane amount of time is worthy of its own, uh, you know, fantastic response. There, there is no number that's going to make this better. Like, do people really desperately need to get this to 400? Like, is that, is that going to be enough? Does it need to get to 450? Like, is there is there a single number where people are going to finally accept, okay, we no longer need donors to come through or corporations to buy these up. And we can accept that the program doesn't sell out a game anymore. I think it's okay to say it's what happened was fantastic. We don't need to just continue to keep this alive for the sake of what, like, I I don't even know who benefits at this point anymore. Um, And again, I I love the idea of people getting to see a game that don't normally get to see a game. And I don't want to, I don't want to diminish that at all, but solely so the athletic department, like people there can feel good about themselves that they weren't the ones involved when it ended. That's what it feels like. It just seems odd. I I don't get it. Like, am I looking at this the wrong way? Am I like, you know, no? I get
2: get the sentiment.
0: Sometimes like I can, I can definitely get far off into the weeds or, or, you know, way out in left field, but I just, I don't, I don't see who benefits here at all. I really don't.
2: have a big notion
0: that people are happy or care or, you know, accepting of what's going on, and that's just not true. The
1: The thing to keep in mind is, I mean, this is just a one-week thing. There's still tickets, quite a few tickets available for that Buffalo game. Um, and this is going to, you know, the same thing with, um, you know, the, the other Big Ten games on the schedule. I mean, it, I think it's fine to do it this week. I mean, it's, it, it is, it's a nice story. I, I agree that, you know, you don't, I, I think you don't continue to prop it up. I mean, if it's going to die, it's going to die. If it dies, it dies. But um, I think the thing that's going to, I mean, might be in the same spot for Buffalo, but at the same time, I don't think Nebraska's AD can, can, can continue to do that. It's just a, it's a bad look. It's a, it's a bad look from the standpoint of that. Everybody knows what's going on here. Like it's a great story because these kids are going to get to go to the game, which I fully support. And I, I don't get the impression either that Trev Alberts is going to be the type of guy that's just going to keep it going and keep it going, you know? So I, I guess I, don't, I where we're at is, is just kind of, you know, this time next week, probably waiting around to see what the ticket sales look like for Buffalo because it's mm. going to be a, a similar deal.
2: What I don't know, it's possible that maybe Nebraska did reach out or say, hey, can anybody help us with this? It's also possible, and this is where I'll say, who knows, that some donors who they're like, that's important to me, that streak's one of the few things remaining in Husker football that's still intact. I'm going to do this. And they reached out and this, and Nebraska's like, okay, you know, that's a fine idea. We'll put out an email and all that stuff. I mean, it, that it could be as simple as that. So it, you don't know exactly how it all came together. And that's what it would be really interesting to find out, like who spearheaded it. If it was just the donors themselves that wanted to do it, you know, or if they were in a desperate search to keep the beach ball in the air, uh, which is possible. But, uh, Good for the, I mean, the kids that get to go to the game. I, 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 I kind of agree with what Schaefer was getting at, though. Uh, the, at some point, you're just going to have to let it go. The big mistake, and a lot of people made it, not just Nebraska, was about 20 years ago when everybody decided they were going to try to have a race to see who could have 95,000 to 100,000 seat stadiums, when actually if you would have been peering into the future the right way, and maybe you couldn't have anticipated this, you would have been thinking, how do we shrink this stadium in capacity and make it more comfortable for 75, 76,000, sort of like it was when I was a kid. That would have been the ideal way to go. But now they're in a pickle because you got to at some point figure out how to do that while not disrupting, you know, know, you're going to have to do it in the course of a season at some point where it's going to be disruptive and kind of a mess. And so that's where it's going to be pretty tricky and interesting over the next five years. Cause I'm sure they're going to want to do something like that.
0: Yeah, I know. I, I, I agree. Um, I, I am. That's the next iteration of Nebraska facilities that has kind of my full attention is what do you do with this stadium? And it's not a topic we need to dive deep into right now, but it, it, it will be really interesting. I know, Brunts was there, Trev Alberts did talk about sort of the stadium, or maybe it was on the radio that he talked about the stadium, that there's, you know, some plans or some ideas, but I don't think there's anything overly finalized, and we're probably looking a little bit further down the road, but I am, I'm very curious what the next iteration of Memorial Stadium can look like. We will see Memorial Stadium on Saturday, Nebraska, of course, has a home game against Fordham. We don't know much about Fordham, or at least I don't. Do either of you know anything about Fordham that isn't quarterback Tim DeMorat?
1: Um, well, I mean, Brian and I have been kicking back and forth a bunch of uh, alums from Fordham. They, they have a, a proud football history there, from what I understand. Yes. Lombardi. Uh, yeah, Lombardi is a, a – a, a, an alum. Denzel Washington is an alum. Um, I don't know if you guys, do you guys remember James Conway, the, the linebacker from Millard West that was at least Nebraska offered a walk-on spot too. He's apparently at Fordham now, I learned. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I don't know a ton about the team that's going to be coming in here. I'm going to really dig in tonight with my, my Fordham study and get the the uh, film film projector out and start combing through that, but um you know alan alda denzel also else am i missing <laughs> alan alda's there uh dc i believe yeah, yeah. <laughs> um he, he, he played george plimpton in paper lion i'm sure he could play a little yeah. football
2: yeah um no they that the story on fordham football is actually an interesting one like from in the early in the 1930s they were one of the best programs in the country and then world war ii happened and uh, basically took away their team and a lot of programs across the country had to decide, okay, what do we do with sports? You know, is it that important to us? And places like Nebraska said, yes, it is. And places like Fordham said, no, not really. So they had like a club team for a while. So they've, they've always been trying to kind of battle back since like the 60s or 70s, I think it was. And they're, they've had some good FCS teams like Dave Klaassen who we were talking about in text the other day, who's at Wake Forest, I believe, Dave Clawson. That's that's correct. (laughs) Yeah. Dave Dave Clawson built them up. Joe Moorhead was a coach there who went to Penn State and had a little success and then didn't have as much so at Mississippi State. But um, they've had some guys who have sort of built it up for like three- or four-year periods, but of late they're sort of scuffling to try to get back into that FCS playoff picture. You, you floated kind of a, an interesting way of
1: kind of lining them up um, at practice today, which was the the FCS spectrum, essentially, right? Like, on one side, you've got, on the lower end, like Idaho State. Um, yeah. And then on the other side, you've got, like, South Dakota State or McNeese State. Is that is that a fair range of what you laid out? Where do they fall, in your opinion, on the – FCS, um, well, I guess panic meter, the panic spectrum, where, where do they
2: fall? I don't know. Schaefer probably have a good opinion as a, with some loyalties to the Jackrabbits here, but it feels to me like FCS has like 15 to 20 programs where you, you, you better step up if you're a big boy school when they come in, cause they're going to think they can do something to you. And South Dakota state's a perfect example of that. If South Dakota state were coming in here Saturday, you'd be like, all right, this is a, hang on. You know, we could have a game on our hands. If Nebraska turns it over once or twice, I feel like this team on that spectrum is still trying, has a ways to go to get into that club unless they take a big jump this year. And so I'm not saying they're going to be Idaho state bad, but my guess is it's, It's going to be a significant enough talent disparity that Nebraska could probably run and hide in this game, even with their deficiencies. But Markel Dismuke rightly said today, like, we got everything to prove. We know it. People think they can beat us. These guys are going to think they can come in here and do stuff. You got to take – if you're on Nebraska's locker room right now, you got to take this game like you're playing the Green Bay Packers, you know. I mean, that's how you have to look at it. So Yeah, I would
0: say there's probably about a dozen – Uh, schools at the upper echelon of the SCS and and Fordham is not yet one of those. We'll see if they can get there. Um, But yeah, it, the game flow of some of those are always kind of fascinating. I mean, Nebraska had a team and with with Amir Abdullah on it that struggled to beat McNeese state. I mean, so you, you never quite know how a team's going to play in an FCS situation. Sometimes you get absolute blowouts like an Idaho state or Bethune cookman a couple years ago, sometimes you get ones that the teams just sort of sit around and don't do much. And so I I'll be curious with Nebraska on Saturday. Uh, it, it would strike me that this should be used as an opportunity to work on just running the ball as much as humanly possible. Uh, you, you know, maybe you're going to get some odd fronts and some even fronts and you can focus on getting real reps against both. Uh, so I, I I'll be curious, you know, if there's much to this game plan, but uh, I don't look for Fordham to, to be uh, providing the opportunity for Nebraska to be in national news again uh, in terms of not winning a game on Saturday.
1: So so we will not likely see a coach buy a hot dog from a vendor in the middle of the game like Bethune-Cookman did, but they, they will be somewhat competitive is what you're saying?
0: Yeah, I I don't I don't know that I expect them to, to be there in the fourth quarter by any means, but they'll be better than Bethune Cookman. I, I think that it, it's kind of like one of those McNeese State games, you know, like they're they're an okay team, they're not a great team. Um, and we'll see how it goes. I, speaking of South Dakota State, I I have more than enough South Dakota State people in my life that feel strongly that they would have beat the twenty twenty Nebraska team. Last year, if that game had gone out as, as expected, of course, South Dakota State finished second in the FCS and Nebraska was three and five. But uh, they I, I heard from them on Saturday quite often that they wish that Nebraska was on their schedule again this year. So the the people up in South Dakota are getting a little uh, getting a little big for their britches, you know.
2: Man. They do have some nice parks in Brookings, though. I, on our way to the cabin, I always stop and let Ronnie take a leak there. Um, and not that, that's not because we're taking a leak on Brookings. I, I let, my brother went to school in Brookings. I like it. But uh, that, that's where uh, Ronnie's uh, potty break is. <laughs> put, that on, <laughs> put that on a postcard. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, now that we know where BC's dog, uh, you know, releases himself in the state of South Dakota – I don't know that there's much more to get to in this podcast.
1: That little fact will be on the quiz at the end of all this, though. So store that one away.
2: That shows if people are listening in the end.
0: <laughs>
1: they made it this far.
0: Congratulations. <laughs> all right. Uh, if you guys have nothing else, let's just finish this thing out. Be sure to check out Husker 24-7. Plenty of coverage as leads up to Fordham. Uh, and, and we assume beyond. And we will be back with a Husker hype cast later this week with a special guest, he's making his hype cast debut. I had to explain him what oddly specific predictions are. He has no idea. So we'll see how that goes. Catch that on Friday as well. We will talk to you then.